2016. How many of you have been glued to the Olympics the last week or so? Raise your hand. Aren't they great? You don't even dare mess with Michael Phelps, right? I mean, the guy can swim. You know, one of the things that I love about the Olympics, not only are people glued to their t TVs and watching all the countries coming together, but you know what I really like to hear and to see? I love to see the families up in the stands, or they even show them on TV, and they're cheering their loved one on, and I mean, some of them are crying, some of them are laughing, they're just excited to watch and to cheer their person on, right? But also love to hear the backstory about some of these participants. I mean, it's not like they just showed up and started swimming. It's not like they just showed up and started playing ping pong or golf or whatever event that you're glued to. They went through training. I mean, they went through years of training to get to the point where they are. And some of them went through a lot of sacrifice to be where they are today. There's always a backstory to everybody. This morning, for the next few weeks, we're going to dive in and look at 1 Peter. I love 1 Peter. But before we start reading into 1 Peter this morning, let's do a little backstory of Peter's life. If you go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Peter, along with John, they were known as just unschooled, ordinary men. Now, what in the world does that mean? That simply means that they didn't have any formal schooling. Okay, They didn't have any formal education like we would talk about today. They weren't professional religious leaders. They were just unschooled, ordinary men. Now, if you look in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, we remember that Peter was, one of the, was in the group, and he was one of the, among the first to be called out by Jesus to follow him. Remember he said, I want you to drop what you're doing and I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. Now Peter, along with the other disciples, they really had no idea what they were doing. But they dropped their business, they dropped their livelihood to follow the master teacher. But did they really know what all of that was going to entail day in and day out? By no means. So, for three years, Peter followed Jesus. Now, was Peter perfect? Not at all. I mean, we would say, by no means, right? I mean, he wasn't perfect at all. But you know what he was? He was still a follower. Now I'm looking at around 400 folks this morning, and I'm going to ask this. Are you perfect? I knew Mac Ray was going to say yes. And I'm going to tell you why he said yes, so you won't think that Mac's getting the big head, okay? Mac said yes because he's perfect because of the blood of Jesus. And if you've been around Mac long, you know that story. And if you want to know the other part to that, I dare you to ask Mac 
and he'll give you an education on that. I love that. But by human standards, are you perfect? By no means. But you know what we are? We are followers of Jesus. And that means day in and day out, even though we fail and even though we mess up and even though we fall short, we get back up again because we realize because of God's amazing grace that we've sung about this morning, there is still hope for our life. Now, Peter, when you start looking at his life, his name, given name, was Simon, and then Jesus changed it to Peter, which means a stone. I want you to remember that. And the Aramaic equivalent of Peter is Cephas so in reality Peter had three names and what you see is over 50 times in the New Testament we see him called Simon and often he is called Simon Peter I like how one author that I've been reading about noted that the two names suggest a Christian's two natures that we have there's that old nature which has to do with Simon and then there's the new nature Peter and what we learn is this, as Simon, he's just another piece of human clay. But when Jesus got a hold of him, guess what? He made a rock out of him. So in and of itself, what you and I are, we're just a lump of clay. But when the master gets a hold of our life, oh, he starts working, doesn't he? And as he starts working we experience growing pains because he stretches us and he shapes us and he begins to mold us and sometimes what do we do sometimes we say no 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 I, I don't want to be shaped like that I want to look more like this or you know I want to act more like this it doesn't work that way does it Peter struggled with that and by goodness if Peter's gonna struggle with it you and I surely will struggle with it we're just a piece of clay but when we give our lives over to the master to Jesus can he not make a rock out of us can he not make us and turn us and transform us into something that we could never become on our own that's why we need a savior because we're not good enough by ourselves. And nobody else is good enough to save you. Now Peter, along with the other disciples, they fought that tooth and nail. They didn't always understand that. But we're going to see in a minute where it all comes to fruition. Now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17 for a minute. And I want to show you a couple of examples where we see... Peter doing something that you and I often do. I guess we call it the Peter syndrome. We even talked about that in our Bible class this morning, that sometimes we have that syndrome where we just say something before we think about it. Peter did that a lot, okay? But watch this. In Matthew 7, 17, beautiful section of Scripture about the transfiguration of Jesus. And you remember after six days, Jesus decided... To go, to go up on the mountain, he took Peter, James, and John with them, 
And then if you look in about verse 4, I love Peter. He just looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, it is so good for us to be here. In fact, it's so good. He says, hey, would you like for me to build a shelter? And, you know, I, I'll, you're included in that, but, Lord, it's just good to be with you. And Jesus just goes on through that scene, and at that point, that's Peter's immaturity. He doesn't always understand the big picture, right? But turn over, to John, turn over a couple of chapters to Matthew chapter 19. We're talking about the rich young ruler at this point. And in about verse 26, Jesus looked at them, he looked at his disciples, and he said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And here's Peter again, speaking up, and he answers and he says, We left everything to follow you, so what then will there be for us? Okay, now look at the growth here. Then you flip over to John's gospel in John chapter 18. You remember Peter said, I will never deny you, Lord. I mean, never would I do that. And in chapter 18, verse 17, you're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. And then in verse 25, he denied it again, saying what, church? I am not. And then in verse 27, again, what does Peter do? He denied it again, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow, just like it was said would happen. And then look over in John chapter 21. As Jesus is reinstating Peter, looking about verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. I mean, Peter's worried about everybody else under the sun. And finally, Jesus says, hey, wait a minute. What you need to be concerned about at this point in your life and at this stage, you need to be concerned about yourself. What about you? You see, it's easier to talk about everybody else. It's more difficult when it's chosen and pointed to you, and Jesus says, what about you? And do you realize Jesus does that to us, I would say, every day? What about you? Will, will you deny me? Will you take up the cross? Will, will you follow? Will you be the one that's going to be different from the crowd? What about you? And then you turn over to Luke's sequel, Acts. And who is it of all people that addresses the crowd and preaches on the day of Pentecost? Can you believe it? It's Peter. Again, was Peter perfect? No, 
But what do we see Peter doing as he's in this day-to-day struggle of transformation, as he's in that day-to-day struggle of what life will look like with Christ, do you begin to realize that inch by inch, slowly but surely, Peter's growing, isn't he? Peter's maturing. Is that not what God calls each one of us to do? It is so easy to stay the same, but it takes a little work and it takes a little action on our part if we want to grow and if we want to mature. And so as you turn the pages of Scripture and you land at 1 Peter, I want you to go ahead and find that. And if you need a Bible this morning, we have pew Bibles available. Find page 857 and land right there, and you'll see 1 Peter chapter 1, and that's where we're going to begin reading. But here's what you begin to see. As you turn the pages of Scripture to 1 Peter, what we see and discover is that this letter grew out of a life lived to the glory of God. He may not always understood everything, but he was growing. Some of you this morning, pretty hard on yourself, living the Christian life. Because, man, I mean, there's just days where you're just not going to understand it all. You're just not going to get it. You're just not going to be the person, and you're not going to be as strong as what God wants you to be. And Satan wants you to say, I'm done, I give up. Peter would say, stay the course. Even though you go through a little suffering. Now, in the Gospels, did Peter like suffering? By no means. But as he stayed with Jesus, he began to realize, oh, you know what? This suffering eventually will turn in to glory. Why is that? Because that's the way that God works in our heart. And so whatever you're going through right now, suffering, pain, trial, doctor's appointments, doctor's visits, just one thing after another, whatever you may be experiencing, guess what? If it's not pleasant, hold on, don't give up, Your suffering will be transformed. Your suffering will be changed into glory someday. But the difficult part is we've got to stay the course. You know the saying, enjoy the ride? Sometimes we don't enjoy the ride, do we? But look at our destination, look at where we're headed. It'll be worth the while, won't it? It'll be worth the trip. First Peter, to the glory of God, is a letter of encouragement. Now, you wouldn't expect that from Peter, but again, he's grown up. And if you flip over to chapter 5, here's kind of a key verse. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 10. And the God of all, what's the word? What's the word? 
And here's a little side note. When you go home this week and read through 1 Peter, it won't take you long. You're going to see that idea of grace mentioned in all five chapters. Okay? There's something to be said about that. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. And look at that last part. Stand fast in it. Don't stand fast in your suffering. Don't stand fast in the trial that you may be going through. Stand fast in the fact that God is not finished with you yet. Stand fast in the fact that He will restore you. And when He restores us, guess what? Strength comes back. And as he restores us, we will once again be strong and firm. And nothing will be able to shake that. Now here's why he's saying this to his audience. They're scattered strangers. And they're going through a period of suffering and persecution. And over 15 times in this letter... Peter referred to suffering, and he even says, here's why they're experiencing it. I mean, some of them are going through it because they're living godly lives and they're doing what is right. Guess what? If you live a godly life and you do what is right, don't be surprised. The world is not going to like that. Man, I mean, we're living proof of that every day, aren't we? We're not popular, church. We're not called to be popular. We're called to be godly. There's a big difference. We're not called to be on the popular side. We're called to be on the side of a believer. And on the side of a believer, we have a different lens that we see through, don't we? We have a different lens that we look through through and it looks different and there's hope in it because of God some were wearing the name of Christ and Peter says guess what you wear the name of Christ you're going to go through suffering you wear the name of Christ you're not going to be popular and some are even being railroaded in chapter 3 by the unsaved people and so Peter writes to encourage them to be a good witness to their persecutors. Did you hear that? So if somebody's against what I'm doing as a Christian, the world says, fight back and get even. What does Scripture teach? Well, it got quiet, didn't it? Love them. Be a good witness to them. In other words, don't let those people bring you down. You try to bring them up. But you know what we have the tendency to do when we get down? We play the blame game and we blame it on everybody else instead of saying, 
I just wasn't strong as I need to be. Isn't that better? To just say, I just wasn't strong. Oh, but guess what? You're not strong in and of yourself. You're strong and you're powerful with God working right there in your midst. And as he does that, he makes us steadfast. And so Peter knew that some tough times were on the horizon from the Roman Empire. Because you remember when the church began in Jerusalem, it was viewed as a sect of traditional Jewish faith. And you remember the first Christians were Jews and they met in the, in the temple precincts. And so the Roman government at that point, they took no official action against the Christians since the Jewish religion was accepted and approved and they just kind of went on. But when it later on, when the folks realized that Christianity was not just a sect of Judaism, that it was here and it was staying, Rome says, oh my goodness, over my dead body, and they started taking steps to fight against that. And that's when Peter steps in with all that he has learned and all that he has grown up in, and he writes to encourage and to help the church be prepared. Folks, that's us. If we aren't prepared, who will be? Did God not make his kingdom and did God not invite us to be a part of his kingdom for that very reason? Man, because we're a part of a different kingdom, Hebrew writer says we're part of a kingdom that's unshakable. We're part of a kingdom that will last forever. Even though we go through trials, we're part of a kingdom that will never fade away. So look at 1 Peter 1. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, which is all regions of what we would call today modern-day Turkey, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in, what's the word? Abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. 
and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to end in verse 10 in just a moment. Now, I want to show you something that's very common in epistles or in letters. They always, you might have to back up a slide, a salutation, just like when you're writing a letter, has three parts, okay? The first one identifies the sender. That's Peter. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then the second part, you identify who's going to receive it, okay? That's God's elect, strangers in the world, and they're scattered in those five parts of modern-day Turkey. And then it offers a blessing or a greeting to them, and in this case, that blessing is grace and peace be yours in abundance. So as Peter begins his epistle, look at what he does. And I've compared this to like a gourmet table featuring the greatness of Jesus' salvation. I'm getting you ready for lunch, so I want you to, man, doesn't that look great? I mean, that's Thanksgiving all over again, isn't it? I mean, what do you have? Go back, just one more. You've got your main course, which is the ham, and all the fixings on the side. Now go to the next picture. It's even better. I love that. Man, if we could find that for Sunday lunch, we would all be doing really good, wouldn't we? I mean, look at that. I mean, that is a feast. And look at the third picture. Not as good as the second one, but it'll still do, right? Peter lays out this gourmet table. Now try to get the food out of your mind for a minute, okay? Lays all of that out. And he says, I, I want you to think about how great a salvation you have. And so salvation being the main course, look at the things that just spill over because of our salvation. Notice what he says. And he says these things really should give us joy as Christians. Great mercy, new birth, living hope. I'm working down verse 3 all the way through verse 9. Resurrection from the dead, an inheritance that can never perish, protected by the power of God, a salvation that will be revealed when Christ returns. You can't get that from anybody else. How great a salvation we have. And sometimes, because of what we go through and all the turmoil that we see in this world, we lose sight of that inheritance. We lose sight of that gourmet table that's in front of us, and because of our salvation given to us by God through His Son Jesus Christ when He died on the cross... Look at all the things that we have to be a part of, that can be a part of us every day. Church, that's good news. That's beautiful to see that God has given those things to us 
you know what? We need those things for life, don't we? That's what sustains us. And so right now, in this difficult time in our world, we don't focus on the world. We focus on what we have as blessings from God through Jesus Christ. I'm not saying ignore what's going on. It's there. It's about us. And we need to be praying more than we've ever prayed that God will put godly people in Washington. But you know what? Nobody can take that blessing away from you. And old Peter, he's not the Peter you read about in the Gospels. He grew up. He matured. And now he says, look at what you have. Look at what can be yours, and not only can it be yours, but he says it can be yours in abundance. That's great. And we're going to stop right there this morning. And the church said, But we're going to pick up on that next week. But here's what I want you to see. Peter says we have an inexpressible joy that can be there. Now, if you're here today, and if you've allowed somebody or some circumstance to take you to take that joy away from you, don't do that again. Okay? Don't let anybody take the joy of Christ away from you. Not this world. Not a fellow Christian. Not anybody. Because what you have from God is precious. And he chose you. He chose us to have all of that. May we never take it for granted. And in everything that we do, may we live in abundance because of what God has blessed us with. Grace and peace be yours. And if there's anything that we can do for you this morning to lift you up, to pray for you, to baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can come up a brand new person, whatever it may be, let us know. But grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's stand as we sing this song.